hi everyone. I am so excited to have our second English talk show. This is actually our eighth talk show since June, and we have so many amazing guests today. Christina, to you, it's such an honor to have you here. And you know, there are just so many things from the hedge fund you have started in your dorm room to Forbes, 30 under 30, to the nonprofit you're advising and to the book you're writing. So uh, let's start with one question. How would you introduce yourself at a cocktail party, Christina? Oh man. Well, first off, thank you, Charlene, for having me and thank you everyone for joining. Um, I hope this will be an exciting session for you all. Um, try to keep it exciting. So uh, when I go to a, like a cocktail party or uh, let's say there's no quarantine anymore and I go to like any regular event, um, I usually just introduce myself and uh, you know, just uh, say I'm Christina and then uh, I'll say I work in finance. I usually try to keep it very vague. Um, I actually don't like to say, you know, like, uh, oh, I went to like MIT or, oh, I started a hedge fund because it actually kind of scares people. And actually mm -hmm. when I'm, when you're dating, it turns people off when you say like, oh, I work at a hedge fund. <laughs> so I try to like not say anything and then slowly reveal the information if they're like, okay with it. <laughs> like try to keep it, you know, keep it humble and safe. <laughs> got it, that, got it. That's a very, very warm, very nice style. And tell us more about how you started. How did you start a hedge fund, which is actually have been trading at billions of dollars for in a day from your dorm room? Like how does that oh, oh, work out for you? Yeah, I mean, so it always sounds kind of surreal when people talk about it. And even for me, I can't like, I'm like, oh, really? We do this? Um, but what happened was actually is my whole like career started as a result of many, many failures, actually. So in college, I wanted to study biology because I got top scores in biology in high school. And then I took biology in college. And I got a C and I was like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't the right course for me. And then I saw my roommates who they were really good at biology, but they wanted to become like doctors and see how hard they worked. And I was like, oh man, I can't, I can't compete with that. Like I'm not going to mm. get into med school. So um, then I switched majors a bunch of times, um, switched to computer science because everyone in today studied computer science, uh, got a C in computer science also. And so then at the end of the year, we had to declare our majors. There's a deadline. And I just declared the easiest major at MIT, which is um, called, it's called management science, which is basically finance plus accounting plus, I don't know, like marketing and other operations skills. And um, so I did that major and it turned out to be really good. I'm so, I got so lucky because it turns out finance is a really practical major. So like mm -hmm. every summer, it was actually pretty like, uh, not saying it was easy to get internships, but like compared to let's say biology, like where do you intern besides in a lab, <laughs> you know? So it was definitely a lot easier because there's so many financial firms, um, even like nonprofit needs like a financial person, right? So, yeah. so many industries and sectors with finance people. I loved it. And then, but then one summer I had a really bad internship. Um, so I'll preface this. I didn't get a return offer, um, which also made me really sad, but the internship was kind of, um, it was an experience. I'll just, I'll just say it here. Um, it was in some country in Asia. I'm not going to say which country, but um, they made us like grab uh, coffee every day for the team, for example. And mm -hmm. um, they would like time you and, um, you know, and depending on the, you know, situation, like if you don't come back within five minutes, you go on the ground and you do push-ups. And Wait, it just, what the, what, what, why do you have to grab coffee chat with people? Like oh, what, why? I mean, just buy them coffee every day, you know, like buy people on the team. Um, because oh, they're so wow. busy, you know, that everyone's so busy and the intern's job is to grab. And oh my gosh, I, that's I, a real intern job. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's okay. You know, I think um, even for me, like if I have time, yeah, I grab coffee even today, like for my team, 
for my interns even like because that's just a, a human good thing to do but like mm. every day and then like you're paying out of your pocket and then they time you and like there's punishments you know if you don't come back in time like so that really drove me at first I text my friend I'm like haha I'm being paid to you know grab coffee and and then she's like Christina that's abusive yeah, <laughs> and I, I was like oh really and then I but anyway I, I was a terrible intern though I did such a bad job and then um at the end of the summer, I didn't get a return offer. And so I went back to school just feeling totally like crap, you know, I'm like a senior now I have to find a job. And but then I started actually back then started just trading on my own at nighttime. Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of like today, you know, right now you hear in the news, everyone using Robin Hood and yeah. trading by themselves, like, it's become a really big deal. So that was like me back in college, I started trading and then I was like, wait a second, like, this is really exciting. And like, I got really hooked and addicted mm -hmm. to it. And then, um, and then by total coincidence, so um, MIT is next to this school called Harvard, <laughs> my co-founder. So I met this guy through like some trading events, like competitions. And then he's like, oh, I go to Harvard. And then my, my roommate like runs a, his family runs a big hedge fund. And I was like, wait, what hedge fund? And then they um, gave us a little bit of money to kind of mm -hmm. trade with. That's how we started the hedge fund initially. And that's $1,000, right? Yeah, it was not a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, <laughs> maybe they can do a little bit more with the with the finances they have. <laughs> yeah, so we started with a hundred. Oh, sorry, just a thousand dollars, and then uh, around the time when we graduated, we started to be more serious, and we were like, okay, we need to raise more money. Um, and then we actually ended up raising the next check was a hundred thousand um, dollars, mm -hmm. and also raised just completely by luck. I feel like, and like, how did that happen? Games. So I was at a Microsoft pitch event. I signed up for every startup event in town and like Microsoft had a pitch event and they had 30 startups pitch and um, they gave out like 25 prizes and we didn't win any prize. Like I totally lost. We were like bottom five. <laughs> so embarrassing when there's 30 startups pitching and then you're like, you know, you're bottom five because you didn't get a prize. Um, but then, so I felt really bad and I was leaving the event and I think that I think the organizer, I'm like, thank you so much. You know, I want to just leave early. Mm. Um, and so I just said, thank you to her really fast. And she's like, oh, by the way, have you met this guy, you know, and um, this guy named Gary? And I'm like, oh no, I haven't. And so she brings me over and introduces me to this like old, really old, he looks like he's 80. Um, and she's like, yeah, he works in your industry. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> um, and so I talked with him for a long time and, and, you know, he taught me a lot of lessons. Like, you know, of course you're not going to win a pitch contest. Like you're standing next to company curing cancer, company mm -hmm. curing poverty disease. You're, you're literally money-making machine. You're not going to be able to win any pitch contest. Uh, so I talked to him a lot. And at the end of the conversation, he brought out a checkbook and he wrote me a check for a hundred thousand dollars. And wow. I was like, holy like I didn't know a bank could hold so much money yeah <laughs> um, with the check you could deposit yeah that's yeah, awesome so we he ended up investing with us and being one of our earliest investors in the company um mm -hmm. and so I went home and then I googled him and you know he's like wow he turns out he's the CEO of a hundred billion dollar hedge fund in Boston <laughs> um, and yeah. I want to focus on that moment a little bit more what do you think stood out to him that made him give you the investment Oh man, I think um, when he, so learning his story makes more sense now because he started his hedge fund in like 1970s when he was out of school. He was also young, naive, kind of like me, you know, totally clueless, right? Um, but somebody, he said someone was his angel. Someone gave him the first check mm -hmm. so he can start to work full time and take on this job. And so he wanted to, he's like reaching 80, you know, already past the age of retirement and he mm -hmm. wanted to pass the baton to the next generation. And so I think he's kind of saw a little bit of like, you know, himself when he was talking to me. <laughs> wow. And was there any moment where your firm is 
almost killed. I, I feel like there may be a few of them. <laughs> yeah, we had a bunch of experiences of um, really close calls to dying. We had one experience where all, so I have two co-founders um, and, uh, and actually all of them have like either, so Luca is from Singapore actually. And then my other mm -hmm. co-founder, Jonathan was originally from Hong Kong and I was born mm -hmm. in Beijing. So, um, so we're all kind of Asian, but we're from yeah. like different backgrounds. Uh, but anyway, there's one experience where all three of us were taking flights. We were all, um, I was on a transatlantic flight. Luca was on another flight from like Singapore and Jonathan was flying to Florida. I don't know. We were all on a different <laughs> flight. Mm -hmm. And then we landed, I landed in Boston around like 5 PM and I checked my phone. There's over a thousand messages on my phone mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh crap, like something. And then there's all these missed calls from like all kinds of investors and employees and everyone's trying to reach me. And, uh, and I'm like, Holy crap. And I call someone I'm like, what's going on? They're like, yeah, the markets just fell like, mm. you know, like 20% or something. And I'm like, Oh crap. And they're like, yeah, like we literally just lost like all this money. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And, um, I forgot how many we lost, um, you know, a couple million or something that day. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, Cause um, I never lost so much money in my life before. Um, and you know, usually, it's like we we kind of gain little bit little by little like the most we lose maybe maybe like a hundred thousand is considered a lot you know like mm -hmm. 70 60 thousand a day but like a million like seven digit uh, i know <laughs> i thought i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna die uh i didn't know what to think and so i sat in the airport and just like worked all evening i couldn't even take a taxi i was like just sitting in the airport just use their wi-fi and just mm -hmm. like work the rest of the evening and um tried to you know had to write a letter explain to our investors like what happened and and, uh, and then the investors were like, why were all three of you on a flight? You know, if, um, if one of us was in the office or available mm -hmm. on our phone, like uh, we could have fixed the problem actually, mm -hmm. but because we were all on a flight, like the risk of, it was a once in a one in 100 chance of market crashing while yeah. three people are on a plane. Yeah. So it, yeah, it happens. <laughs> and, and how did you recover? Because I, I don't know how much, how many millions or billions of dollars you, the funds have at that time, but I'm, I'm guessing that's a huge loss, right? So how do you recover that back uh, from that point? It took us like three or four months to recover. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, in finance, it's different from like start like a tech startup because in finance, yeah. the amount you make or lose it's going to be like tattooed on your record for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. You know, mm -hmm. if you, if I quit this company today and I go work for Goldman Sachs, Goldman's going to be like, well, give me your month by month performance for the past eight years, you know? And if I show them, they're going to be like, they're definitely going to ask what happened that yeah. day. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, oh crap, you know? So I can't just get rid of that record. It's not like I can do community service for 400. You know, I can't, <laughs> I, it's not like going to jail in America, you know, where you do community service and then you're free. Um, so mm -hmm. in this world, in finance, like your results are your results and that's mm -hmm. permanent. And so um, all we could do is just make our numbers higher and continue going, recover from the loss, get back to positive <laughs> numbers for the rest of the year, you know, and um, that was, and also communication with investors is so important because mm -hmm. in that time, if I didn't, you know, communicate with them, if I didn't tell them what was happening, they'd probably just pull out, you know, they would probably mm -hmm. just lose faith in, in me as a person, as a founder. And so um, it was really important to make sure that, to communicate to them like, yes, we have this huge loss. Here's how we're going to fix it. And, mm -hmm. you know, here's why we're going to do better in the future. And like, no more like three people taking a flight, you know, at the same time, like always have critical mass in the office, uh, present at any point in time. So mm -hmm. everything is important. Yeah. Got it. And it sounds like you hinted at this, right? Authenticity, uh, transparency, and just being really open with your investor. Because like, there's another kind of hedge fund, which is more secretive, uh, where there's like Flash Boy, there's the Wolf of Wall Street, we, we read so much about how, you know, how things are done in the back room. We don't really know what's going on. So how would you describe your culture uh, and 
and how that how has that uniqueness helped you or, or not helped you uh in the way you grow your found yeah so usually the culture in financial firms especially like quantitative trading firms is usually very like known as competitive or very secretive or strict you know those are the usual terms you describe it as um i, th I think like when we first started the business the one of the big things i wanted to do is make sure like that, that we were like fair and that we were as transparent as we could possibly be, um, you know, and then try to be kind of more flat than other firms in terms of um, letting people who are younger, you know, have uh, more of a voice in the company and, and mm -hmm. that's okay. And so, so we do try to do more of that. Um, I'll give you one example, like when an employee joins our company on the first day, um, I always do the orientation with them. And then I let them know like, hey, you know, we're here for you on your journey and your career. So if you find a better company, then go for it. You know, if you want to use us as a stepping stone, as a ladder to go reach your next destination, your next goal, then that's great. And we'll mm -hmm. be fully supportive, help you get the job, do the recommendations, you know, whatever it is, so long as you're doing your best job and your most honest job while you're here, <laughs> you know, that's what matters. Right. And so that way, like it keeps everyone transparent. It keeps people, you know, if someone says, Hey, I, I'm not feeling too good. You know, I need to take a mental health day or a mental, you know, maybe find a better job for me, then that's great. You know, we totally, we always explain that we understand that, you know, we're mm -hmm. not the best company in the world or for everyone. And I think it's very like every founder, you know, should live, I think should understand that as well, you know, but yeah. I think at the beginning, when you start a company, you want to be the best in the world. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's one of the things we try to do in our culture to just make sure that everyone feels, you know, comfortable while they're here. And if, mm -hmm. as soon as they don't, um, that's okay. And to just, you know, let us know and we can always help and figure out what's next for people. <laughs> and you, you kind of hinted at this, but how was the competition back then? How, cause I don't know. I'm, I'm under the impression that many of them weren't here anymore. So how was those competition bad? Like, how have you dealt with them? Yeah, we're the last remaining high frequency trading fund in Boston, I think. And wow. I think we're also the only like one of the I think out of the top 50 high frequency funds out there were the only one that was started in the past decade after 2008, <laughs> wow. um, which to me, like, is kind of crazy. Um, but anyway, so the competition wise, like we, the good news is like our, oh, one of our principles that was right was like, treat your competition well. That was like the only principle that we got. <laughs> I love that. Like treat your competition well and like be nice to them because like mm -hmm. you never know when they need you or you need them. It just makes you feel good. You know, when you're friends with yeah. people and like, you're not trying to compete, like life isn't supposed to be competition. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's all about making friends. And like, I know in, especially in many cultures and even growing up in America, like you know, I was taught like always be number one, you know, and like, but the problem is like, you know, in real life, once you're an adult, like it's really not about being number one anymore. I feel like um, it's like, just like finding happiness for yourself and doing your own path and like carving out whatever career, no matter where you work or what, what industry you work in, like just finding your happiness and finding those hobbies and passions and just living life, you know, honestly. Right. And it's not about being number one mm -hmm. anymore. And, you know, you're not going to get a trophy for, for any of that. And so, um, so just kind of for me learning that and realizing that was, um, both very humbling and then also helped me treat my competition, you know, uh, with respect and with the, um, I don't know, just like with like as if like they're human, you know, and so then they treated me well in the end. And I got a lot of good mentors because of that in the end, too, you know, and other stuff I was able to kind of gain um, just from treating people, you know, really nice, I guess. <laughs> you know, we compete against each other in the markets when we're trading and stuff like that. But um, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, let's just go grab drinks and like chill <laughs> and hang out because like we're all trying to work towards the same goals and 
make a living for ourselves. And so, you know, but why not? <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if you have, how have you dealt with rejection? Oh, so man. yeah. Do you just, you know, go back and cry and write in your journal or do you, I, I feel like you, you would do something back. Like what actions do you take? Um, I have, you know, definitely cried uh, and like left my office crying um, some days for sure. The the worst rejections are like the ones where they kind of insult you when they reject you. Um, I'd rather just ignore me, you know, but sometimes if someone says, oh, she's never going to succeed or oh, mm-hmm. like what a waste of my time, you know, when someone says, oh, she's a waste of time. Um, that, that hurts every time because like, you know, and I think it, it's okay, by the way, to feel hurt or to feel sad because rejection is, um, we're all human. It's like the most human thing <laughs> to, yeah. to feel emotion when someone doesn't like you, right? And mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, it's funny because actually my co-founders, I think, and also my team in general, a lot of people on my team are a lot less, um, or what do you call it? A lot more chill than me. So like, nice. a lot, yeah, I'm, I'm like a lot more sensitive um, and that's okay. Everyone has a different level of like how much they care about issues and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I care a lot more. Like I'm the type of person where if I read a Facebook post that like I disagree with, I get really like, oh, so angry, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, but I learned to deal with it over time. I think it does, it hurts for me. Like every time I get rejected by any investor, um, mm-hmm. because I spent time with them. I literally spent like five hours, you know, talking to this investor and then they said no to me. Oh, what did I do wrong? Right. Yeah. Um, but I think over time it gets better. Um, and you just kind of understand like time heals every wound and eventually like as a part of a, we learn that rejection is normal as well. So if you know that it's normal and that it's nothing personal, then you start to feel like, okay, that's fine. And for me, like I call it a mountain of rejections. Like um, every time I get rejected, you know, Microsoft, the pitch contest I lost, it's like, okay, here's this mountain of rejections and it just goes in this pile and mm-hmm. it just keeps on building higher and higher and that's okay. And that um, that's like completely normal. Here's my mountain of rejections, you know, um, and then move on. Okay, go, go to the next opportunity, the next opportunity. And then eventually you find that investor who says yes or the job or the company that says yes to you after this whole mountain of rejections behind you. Um, but also I think it's more meaningful because after you say you get no a hundred times and then you get one yes and you're like, oh my gosh, it, you're so much happier, right? Yeah. Versus if you keep getting a hundred yeses, then life is kind of boring almost, yeah. right? Like, are you, you're not aiming high enough maybe, or you're not doing enough, right? That maybe like you're playing it too safe. I don't know. Um, but if every company says yes to you, wow, like that's, that's impre- incredible, but also um, it's more exciting when you get a bunch of no's and then you get a yes and you're like, yes, <laughs> it just feels so great. <laughs> yeah, I think that really ties in with what when you said it's a roller coaster, right? Because I think one advice I got and I, re- I was really thankful for that is don't don't get too many successes because if that's the case, you're not trying hard enough. And that's why I would always aim to challenge myself, which I think there's downside about tra- challenging myself too much. But at, at least at this moment, I feel like all my growth come from the moments where I thought I couldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like, what is life without like those, those struggling, the triumphs and the tribulations together, right? Like you need to have one in order to kind of have the other in your life too. And, and so that balance is, um, it's a healthy thing to have actually. <laughs> uh, and we have around 10 minutes left. So I'm going to shift from career into life. So you have done a lot. You are writing a book, you are, you have just, what kind of legacy do you want to leave on the world? Oh man, that's tough. (laughs) Um, You know, I just want to like 
at this point while I'm alive, at least like, you know, inspire people to do whatever they want to pursue. And, um, you know, whether that's a career in finance or in another industry, um, just be able to show that this is possible, you know, and um, I am in an industry where uh, if you think about what, what does a hedge fund manager look like, you think about, I don't know, like Ray Dalio, Warren Buffett, uh, Steve Schwartzman, like all these kind of old white dudes, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, it'll be nice when people can have more diversity in this industry. And um, so hopefully you guys will be inspired to pursue whatever you're pursuing, even if people usually don't look like you in whatever, uh, whatever industry you join. Right. Um, and that, that's okay to carve your own path out there. Um, for me, like I define sex success. Um, actually my friend told me this definition first. He said like success is the number of hours you can play video games during the day. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so true. And like, at first it didn't make sense to some people, but it's like basically success is the number of hours you can afford to do the thing you truly want to do during the day without like getting into trouble or getting any consequences. Right. Yeah. And so for him, that, that was like playing his favorite video games during the day without um, any consequences, you know, at the end of the day. And so I was like, Oh, that's a, that's a great definition. And so I hope to be able to, you know, one day as well, spend time doing, I mean, now as well, I'm, I'm lucky in that my startup is the thing that I really want to do. It's like exactly um, how I, you know, <laughs> define, yeah, success. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, focus on those things that keep you waking up in the morning. Oh, people always ask me as well, like, should I start a company? Um, and I'll just say like, just do the thing that makes you want to wake up. Like, don't worry about success rate, you know, mm -hmm. success rate and hedge funds. If I knew back then, like it was, you know, was it like a 1% success rate over five years for a hedge fund? It's terrible. Um, if I knew the statistics, like, yeah, I'd be pretty discouraged and stuff, but I just mm -hmm. started it out of passion. And like, because that was what would wake me up in the morning compared to, you know, working um, for me personally, I personally prefer just, you know, doing my own thing. And so I was like, oh yeah, you know, I will wake up if I do this company, I will feel excited and energized. Like I'm living my life. And so mm -hmm. that was the only reason for it. And even if it fails, I can go move on and do something else. And, you know, nobody ever says, oh, I regret doing a startup. They'll be like, oh, you know, my startup failed, but I got this, I got like a hundred opportunities. <laughs> so just kind of um, do the thing that you enjoy, whether it's working at a large firm or your own firm or small firm uh, or no company, <laughs> you know, volunteering or um, being a full-time parent, right? Just whatever it is that you're enjoying in the moment, you don't need to defend your decision to anybody. You don't owe anyone. Maybe your parents, <laughs> you know, will be concerned. But um, besides that, like, uh, you know, people you love, like um, you don't owe the public anything. <laughs> wow, that's such an awesome way. And, and for some reason, I was hearing something else. You said that, are you... Uh, would you say you're at that level like you could do whatever you love during the entire day or was there something holding back oh man um i think for the longest time i held myself back a little bit to be honest um, i think we kind of all do because in college you all feel a pressure of like study computer science <laughs> you know or like engineering math or something um practical and then get a job at a big you know my parents definition of success is like, oh, go work at like Google or IBM for 40 years of your career. <laughs> but that's because that's because their generation is so totally different from our generation. You know, yeah. like stability was more important for their generation during a time in the world where, you know, like uh, there were still a lot of people, a lot of countries in poverty. But now, you know, you see many countries like we all are pretty you know, pretty privileged to be honest. And there's technology, everyone's so connected today. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the definition of a job is changing as well. Like there's gig economy, you know, like uh, I have friends who like sell Airbnb, like they're renting Airbnbs at night, driving <laughs> Uber during the day, like, wow. um, you know, doing like task rabbit and like running around, like, you know, there's, um, you can have like, I think average millennial today has 
17 jobs before retirement and it's actually growing higher. So like um, for the next generation, you'll see probably like 20 or over 20 jobs during your lifetime. And that's considered normal. And so what I like, why I like to say that is because um, like um, if you want to consider changing companies, just know like, that's okay. Look, it's like two, two out of 17. <laughs> okay. You know, it's just another part of your journey, right. To, yeah. to discover yourself. And um, there's no such thing as like a job that you like a hundred percent of the time. Um, everyone always thinks, oh, the grass is greener when I go work at this bank over here instead of this bank, mm -hmm. you know, but then you join, you're like, oh, you know, I should have stayed at the other bank. And so um, you always think that, but then it's like, well, if you like your job, like 80% of the time, you're probably better off than like most of the population, um, even like higher than 50%, like every other day, if you're like, oh, I love my job. Like that, then that's, I think that's pretty darn good to be honest. Cause I have some, mm -hmm. some friends who hate their job every single day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when you need to decide, like, maybe I should change my situation and, um, you know, look for something new, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's, uh, it's tough, but the world isn't perfect and you just have to find yourself through that process. <laughs> love it. Love it. And just, uh, as if people want to learn more about you, your work, maybe work at the app Bento, how could they learn, learn more and reach out? Yeah. Um, so you can check out our website. It's just, um, www.datamento.com. I can type it in here as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, pretty straightforward. And then, um, you can also add me on LinkedIn. That's like the, and, or Twitter, those are like my primary platforms. If you mm -hmm. ever want to get involved or keep in touch with me as well. And, um, yeah, I'm really grateful for all your time though. And, you know, thank you so much, Charlene, for doing this. <laughs> yeah, this is so fun. There are so many more questions, but in the interest of time, uh, I would leave it here. And, uh, so I will post, uh, Christina's LinkedIn, Twitter, on our page, Facebook page, and you can Reach out to her if you want to learn more. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. yeah. I hope you have an awesome day. Yep. You too. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye.